Coming up on Transformers University, we're just past the halfway mark of the original cartoon in Season 3, and we're about to tackle another five episodes right now on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to episode number 75, yes, we're three quarters of the way to 100, of Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info, the website, the toy archive, the YouTube channel, and so much more. And I want to thank you all for waiting so patiently for this episode. Uh, we had a lot going on this October here at uh, TFU.info. Uh, and here at TFU.info being me, <laughs> um, we had New York Comic Con at the start of the month. And if you've uh, kept up with the Twitter at TFU underscore info, uh, you know I've made a number of guest appearances. I was on uh, uh, Transmissions Podcast's uh, YouTube channel. Uh, I was on Mike Seibert Radio twice, uh, once talking about uh, Big Brother, uh, the TV show, and once talking about New York Comic Con. And I was also on TFYLP's uh, weekly recap show. Uh, so do check out all of those shows wherever you find your podcasts, because I know they're just about everywhere where I get my podcasts, that being uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever it's called now. But I do not want to keep you waiting all month for a new episode. So we are going to get right into it. So we have five episodes we're covering this time around and this batch of episodes features a number of new writers to transformers but not necessarily writers you might be unfamiliar with and that's going to start with episode 16 overall episode number 81 web world by len wayne and diane duane let's talk a little bit about len wayne uh he is the co-creator of such Superhero royalty as uh, Wolverine, uh, Swamp Thing, Nightcrawler, Storm, Colossus, and Lucius Fox from the Batman series. Uh, he was the editor on the Watchmen miniseries and uh, co-wrote uh, Giant Size X-Men number one, which introduced a lot of those X-Men characters I just mentioned. Uh, he would go on to write five episodes of Transformers for four different series, and that's counting the one we're about to talk about, up until his uh, passing in 2017. Diane Duane is a sci-fi novelist and screenwriter best known for writing uh, Star Trek novels. She wrote 12 of them. Uh, she also wrote the Next Generation Season 1 episode, uh, number 6, called Where No One Has Gone Before, uh, based on one of her novels. She's also written a ton of animation, including DuckTales, Batman the Animated Series, and Gargoyles. Now, for more on this episode, we're going to toss it over to one of our Patreon students. He's the one they call John Levingood. Hello, everybody. This is John Forex Levingood here. Uh, I was requested by Ant to do uh, come back and do some stuff on this. And, uh, well, I chose to do WebWorld. So the episode starts off with the Decepticons uh, searching for Isodrite for their weapons. Uh, they find it and uh, see that there are some Autobots there already, so they immediately start attacking the Autobots. Uh, 
during this attack, I get a giggle out of this uh, little thing by Skylinks. Eyes aloft, gentlemen! A rival geological survey has arrived! Anyhow, I continue on. Um, during the attack, Galvatron tends to be hurt in his own side as much as the Autobots, as well as various uh, uh, comments and notes that show that he is not probably working on um, on all four cylinders. Both the Autobots and Decepticons notice this, as well as whenever he's in early, especially early on in the episode, whenever you see anything that seems to be like he's going a little bit different, you get seen some flashes by his temples in the. Uh, Anyhow, after the attack, uh, the Decepticons, who look like they're back on Cybertron, are uh, are talking. Uh, this is Cyclonus is talking with Swindle, Motormaster, and Laserbeak. And uh, Swindle and Motormaster flat out tell Cyclonus that if you guys, if you don't do something about Galvatron's madness, uh, we will do something about both of you. Immediately after they leave, one of the Quintessons, uh, through a hologram, tells Cyclonus about a planet that can help treat Galvatron. Uh, essentially, a space insane asylum. Um, it, you know, goading, uh, goading Cyclonus into doing this, um, the Quintesson goes back and tells his compatriots that um, you know this could potentially destroy one of their biggest rivals, Galvatron. Uh, Cyclonus takes a bait and uh, tells Galvatron that the Autobots are on Torculon, the planet that is currently where uh, this this insane asylum is. So uh, he tricks him by telling him the Autobots are there, and so they, they fly off to Torculon. Once they get to Torculon, uh, Galvatron starts seeing these uh, cages, and he starts uh, looking around asking where the Autobots are. Uh, at this point, we meet some of the um, patients, is the best way to put it. Um, you know, showing that this is indeed an insane asylum. One guy sitting there with three heads, uh, just saying, I have no head. I have no head. I have no head. I have no head. In kind of a chant, uh, another alien showing uh, that he's probably more youthful. His mind is more youthful, you know, asking for mommy. Mommy! Uh, another one that just speaking in gabbledygook, and another one with more more aggression. Uh, the Torculons, or Torculinians, I guess, <laughs> um, come in and they uh, discuss discuss with uh, Cyclonus what they need to do, and so they uh, begin their treatments. And they go through various treatments. First one, talk about the issues. Another one, uh, assemble a puzzle. And the third one, act out troubles. And in all three cases, Galvatron breaks out of his bonds and is um, generally destructive. Um, and in the third one, they use a tolerance inhibitor array that he that uh, Galvatron does develop a tolerance for, and this prompts the Alia solution as the Torquilinians uh, go go put it. Once he is tied into the planetary computer, Torquilon itself will enter his mind and disable the metaprocessor. The Alia will consume the damaged intelligence, and the planet will absorb its energy, including the madness. He'll have no mind left! He'll be just a machine! Aren't we all, in a way? Uh, just before they take him off to this treatment, Galvatron screams at them, You have no right to change what I am. And then the uh, Torquilanians tell Cyclonus that this 
they save this treatment for last because it will cure him of his madness, but it may also it may also cure him of being Galvatron as well. The complete disintegration of the metaprocessor to me struck as like a fancy talk for removal of a part of a part of the brain responsible personality, um, i.e., a lobotomy. And uh, as a side note here, real lobotomies do change the personalities of some patients that have gone through them, whether surgically or due to an accident. So. The Cyclonus says, no, we don't want this. We don't want uh, Galvatron to go through this treatment. And then the Torquilinians, uh capture the rest of the Decepticons and hold them steady and tell Cyclonus point blank, what we do to Galvatron, we can also do to you. They begin the treatment, and Galvatron's madness actually feeds back into the, into the planet, causing the planet to go mad, which is just really interesting, I think. Feedback! Impossible! The place is coming apart! The planet's going crazy! It's been infected with Galvatron's madness. So, so uh, this allows Galvatron to escape as the rest of the Decepticons to escape. They go and destroy the planet, and they actually do destroy the memory processor of the planet, essentially live, letting, uh, rendering the planet useless as a, as a mental, mental health institution. <clears throat> and it ends with the... Uh, Decepticons flying off to go ahead and, uh, you know, go after Autobots and destroy Autobots um, without really uh, curing Galvatron's madness, but giving, every, giving them all uh, the Decepticons on an appreciation of who Galvatron is as well. Um, some small points of this episode. This is a very Autobot light episode, only seen very early on. Um, and, this, and it's also fo- focusing on, you know, how a second command uh, handles a mad leader and the what um, uh, madness of a leader can do to inner ranks and stuff like that. Um, this, uh, my personal thoughts on this episode, um, it's actually a surprisingly, uh, for such a short episode, a surprisingly in-depth look at how mental illness uh, impacts uh, people as well as the treatment options. And these feel a lot like treatment options of yesteryear, though I know know some of them are probably used to this day. The real real ones, not the Torquilinians' uh, uh, version of them, Uh, like talking out your problems, acting out your problems, doing external work with your hands to focus your mind, things like that. Uh, you know, uh, my another takeaway I have of this on is, you know, this is a good good one to think about, is do we have the right to change somebody who doesn't want to be changed? Galvatron was fighting this the whole time because he doesn't want to be changed. He likes exactly who he is and the way he is. And uh, albeit he'd be an evil, it's a very... If this was done to an Autobot, this would uh, actually have been a very much more dark episode. But because it was to Decepticons, it seems to be that it was a more lighthearted episode. A lot of it played for, some of it played for laughs right up until the end there. Um, You know, I have uh, uh, two sons with ADHD and I have a couple nephews, one with Asperger's syndrome and one with full-on autism. So um, this particular episode... 
when I was given a list of episodes to look through and see which one I wanted to do. This one was the only one I remembered anything about, which is why I chose the episode. And I think, you know, it's not like mental illness runs in my family, but it's there. I mean, if we were to go try to cure one of my nephews of his of his autism by drilling into his brain and taking it out, would he want to? Is that right? And that's essentially what they were doing to Galvatron. Now, Cyclonus was trying to stop it, so, I mean, it wasn't a, a voluntary thing. There, You know, there's surprisingly, the Decepticons were kind of on the good side to this versus the bad side right up until Galvatron freed himself. Then he goes to destroy the planet. <laughs> so, anyhow, it's just some food for thought. Just, you know, look at this uh, episode. I mean, it's for an 80, 1986 episode. It has a very... I would say surprisingly uh, mature look at mental illness treatments and what should and should not be done. Anyhow, thanks again. Uh, this is John Forex Levigan and signing out. Now, if you want to catch John on his YouTube channel, uh, you can subscribe to him over on YouTube. The username is 4x11gd. That's uh, the word for F-O-U-R spelled out, the letter X the two numbers, 1, 1 for 11, and GD. And of course, he is also one of our Patreon students, which means if you were one of our Patreon students, you would get this episode at least one day in advance, plus all sorts of extra goodies, like being able to participate in the show and know what's coming uh, episode to episode. Now, a few things John didn't touch on that I'd just like to point out. Uh, one is this particular soundbite from the episode. Uh, and for me, this episode's one of the best season three episodes overall it's it's dark it's it's decepticon focus which is very rare and uh it's also kind of funny at times uh including when galvatron is admitted to torculon uh we find out that intergalactic medical payments suck just as much as real life medical payments does the patient have a service contract with us then we'll require a credit reference. I believe we can waive the customary deposit. Should the patient require permanent care, payment will be made in consciousness units rather than conventional currency. Um, what I want to know is... Do you understand and agree to these terms? Yes, yes. Then, if you'll validate the forms right here... ...and here for diagnostics... ...and for therapeutics and one for parts and labor, and accounting, and there. That's your copy. You know, the other thing worth noting here is, um, one, Galvatron kills everything in this episode, but also Frank Welker's performance. Uh, he is unleashed in this episode. He's allowed to basically, I wouldn't say chew the scenery, but he gets pretty damn close. And... It is really one of his best overall performances in G1, uh, outside of maybe the movie. Uh, this might be his best single performance. This Cyclonus is beauty. Devastation wrought with precision and care. It will take the Torculi centuries to rebuild. Only centuries? Are you certain? Then perhaps my work is not finished. Now, going from what's considered one of the best episodes in season three to one of the episodes that's considered worst overall, and that 
is season three, episode 17, overall episode number 82, Carnage in C Minor by Buzz Dixon. And for more on that, he's got your number. He'll steal your thunder. He's got your mother's maiden name tattooed on his arm. I'm talking about the salty seaman, Gabriel Owens. Hey folks, welcome to the Salty Seaman's review of Carnage in C Minor here on TFU. Uh, this is one of the most infamous episodes, uh, more for just, uh, you know, it's considered one of the worst episodes ever made, uh, you know, but in reality it's not as bad as, you know, any other episode that, you know, has issues, but... You know, the some of the animation errors are just so egregious. It's a thing people remember. Also, the, uh, well, the the sing-song stuff. It's just, it, it annoyed a lot of people. Uh, you know, it, it, there's a reason why this episode has such a bad reputation. But I don't think it's quite as bad as it's often made out to be. Uh, I haven't watched this in, you know, five, six years so it's been a minute, uh, and I know which which areas to uh, to hit on, but it will be fun just to uh, look at this and just see how things, uh, you know, how bad really is it? You know, we'll, let's take a look, and uh, let's take a gander at Carnage in C minor. So we start off with uh, the Decepticons, uh, which we see is uh, the Constructicon, Soundwave, and Galvatron. Uh, moving a planet, building basically a war world, uh, and they're going to go attack a Metroplex with it. Uh, right away, the animation is, you know, it's very stocky. Uh, you know, it freezes a lot of places, and right off the bat, we get Devastator standing next to Soundwave uh, about, at about the same size. This is one of those animation errors types that we're going to continue to get throughout this episode. And famously, after uh, uh, we already see Devastator in full Devastator form, standing next to Soundwave being about the same size, which toy accuracy-wise is pretty close, uh, he then forms Devastator, and the Autobots attack, and the uh, the animation is just really shoddy and stocky. Uh, we see Brawn, who is, uh, you know, if you want to get into the whole, uh, is Brawn dead or alive uh, you know, this episode, he's clearly right there. Uh, we see Broadside just kind of pop up, uh, you know, and it, it, I know he kind of goes back and forth between, you know, being about Ultra Magnus' size to being huge as a aircraft carrier transformer would be. But, uh, you know, right off the bat, you know, just the, the animation quality is just crap. You know, this was obviously done, you know, haphazardly and on the cheap. But uh, story-wise, it's uh, it, it goes it's going fine. Kind of a hilarious moment. Uh, Ultra Magnus goes and grabs Ultra uh, Galvatron while he's in uh, cannon mode. Uh, kind of looks like he's uh, you know, polishing the old cannon. There, uh, he ends up uh, making Galvatron uh, destroy the uh, the engines. And then there's a scene where like he's going, uh oh, and Galvatron's just kind of 
hanging behind him, like almost lovingly, like, you know, you know, two lovers in an embrace. It's, uh, you know, th- this is why this episode is so well remembered for being bad. It's just funny as hell. Uh, if I, if I stop every time I need to, uh, point out an animation screw up, I mean, I'm going to be here all day. So, but, uh, another one, the, the planet is, uh, going off, uh, into the deep depths of space and has about to run into a inhabited planet, which is our, you know, where our plot starts. Uh, the Autobots go and, uh, attempt to stop it. And we see, uh, Again, some really awful animation. Uh, Magnus and Perceptor and a very tiny, weirdly kind of on model, but really, but just it looks lacking of Superion, who just suddenly showed up out of the blue. Uh, And uh, yeah, it's just like what even as a kid, I got to say, when I watched this episode, like I caught a lot of these, you know, just as a fan and just like. Man, they were really off on this, but uh, you know, I vaguely knew like you know this stuff. You know, this stuff happens, uh, but geez, it's just it's so noticeable. This this is why this episode is so remembered. So our heroes land on the strange planet, and we get to meet some of the inhabitants who talk completely in harmonious uh, sing-song voices, which are. Absolutely grating on the ears. So much for me, I'm leaving. No, you stay in the city. Try and stop me. Allegra, where are you going? Uh, but we do get a fun moment. Another moment of, you know, Soundwave, who, you know, has a reputation of being kind of a cold, emotionless character. You know, is obviously in love with the har- the harmonics of this planet. This is a heap a- Music Planet, uh, as grating as it is to our ears, apparently Soundwave really loves it. What was that? That was Evan. The purest, most vibrant, most perfect harmony I've ever heard. And then we get, uh, you know, Broadside shows up to grab Galvatron, and he is in, you know, giant aircraft carrier guy mode. And later he will just be regular size because that's just how this episode works. Then for the third time already within a couple of minutes of this episode, the Constructicons form Devastator and are taken out by Perceptor's uh, giant microscope mode blast, which is just, you know, uh, you know, it's one of those, you know, defeating uh, purposes. You know, the longer you've been around, the less powerful you get in uh, Transformers world. And, you know, this guy is... You know, he's the original combiner. He's the original, uh, you know, whatever word you want to use for it. But yeah, getting taken out by Receptor is pretty lame. And uh, we do, we randomly also have Hotspot standing behind Perceptor, who also hadn't been in this episode before. There's a lot of characters just randomly showing up. We move on to uh, Soundwave gets blasted back into Galvatron. Galvatron's like, hey, get up. We're going to find the source of that harmony and use it against the Autobots. Uh, which leads us to a scene of ult- one of the most famous egregious errors. Uh, Ultra Magnus holding two of the Constructicons like they were small children and then just slamming them together and say, hey, we got to go find, uh, go track down Galvatron. He's trying to, you know, use this uh, planet against us. 
And, uh, you know, again, toy accuracy wise, you know, Ultra Magnus was could have done this in the toys. But, you know, the scale of the show that it, you know, they should be, you know, basically at his, uh, you know, chest area, not, you know, tiny little dudes. But uh, it, it's a funny scene. I really love it. If, if they had kept them that, you know, toy accurate, I think I would have uh, appreciated it more. But I just remember as a kid thinking like, what in the hell are they doing? What is going on here? We get the Autobots chasing uh, Galvatron and Soundwave into the uh, main city of the uh, the place, uh, you know, the, the I guess the, the cradle of their this world's civilization. And Broadside goes through a couple of size changes, which is just normal for this episode. Eventually, he immediately transforms into his a cargo ship mode, and uh, Magnus and Blaster uh, cling on to him in the first shot, and are you know he's basically not much bigger than they are, and then in the later shots he's grown huge, and uh, you know and Blaster also puts his two cents in, and is like, hey, these the this planet's full of cool cats. Uh, doing music that makes their thing work. Uh, you know, we get definitely got to stop the Decepticons. And, and in this plot line, I really do like. I think it, it's a cool idea. You got Soundwave and Blaster coming back from season two, you know, you know, in a, in a season that, you know, focuses on the newer toys. This is like, you know, a cool up uh, for these two, you know, playing into their musical backgrounds. You know, and I really like this part. And you know, and Ultra Magnus, of course, is a stuck-up, stodgy. It's just like, yeah, whatever. But let's stop the let's stop the Decepticons. Whatever about the music. Also, Blaster isn't quite talking completely in rhyme as he uh, ended up doing in the third season a lot, which I always found annoying. Uh, you know, it annoyed me in GI Joe when they did it with Roadblock. It's like, hey, the the cool jive guy, you know, who's kind of uh, well, let's face it, black. Or black-ish, you know, the robots. But uh, yeah, I was like, oh, they they have to talk in rhyme and be jive talk, jive turkeys. And I, I I just even as a kid, I found that a little offensive. I wish they would, you know, not have done that. But I'm glad to see here Blaster can talk normally. So the Autobots get to talk to the uh, leader of this planet, who apparently his harmonic uh, sing-song voice is uh, in. Uh, translatable to uh, Ultra Magnus, even though us as the audience can make him out, but only Blaster uh, can understand them, and we assume also Soundwave because of their musical background, which is just another weird little bit of this uh, this very strange episode. Is he certain all of his people would feel that way? Anyone who doesn't can leave, just like Allegra. Basso here says anybody who disagrees with him can do the big hike. Like somebody named Allegra? Then that's who we want to talk to. So while the Autobots are talking to uh, the uh, the leaders of this planet uh, and about Allegra and her whereabouts, and she, you know, everyone figures out she is one of the keys to the harmonies of this planet, uh, Galvatron and Soundwave are listening in, and, uh, you know, uh, basically, uh, you know, s- follow the Autobots and, uh, you know, attack them, Knock them into a, uh, you know, under a pile of debris. Uh, Galvatron blasts them. Uh, at the same time, we get a little bit more of this, just how much Blaster and Soundwave are just so enamored with this planet, you know. And I think that's like the probably the the the, the saving grace of this uh, episode is just getting like that little bit of characterization from these two characters. Yeah, yeah. 
beauty like you wouldn't believe, Broadside. Sweet soul music. It's their art, their commerce, their philosophy, their whole... Uh-oh. Bummer. Galvatron and Soundwave are here. Uh, we also get a lot of characterization on Broadside, who otherwise doesn't get any. Uh, you know, he's very, uh, you know, biased tech spec. You know, he's, uh, you know, he hates the sea. He hates the air. And, he, you know, his, his modes are, you know, a, a ship and a, uh, and a plane. But he's very, he's very Sunstreak-like, you know, worried about uh, his paint job is dense and all that good stuff. The, uh, the, the, the harmonious people, you know, revive them out of the pile with their uh, musical harmony power. And the uh, the Autobots are now off to uh, stop Galvatron and Soundwave from getting to uh, Allegra first. So Soundwave and Galvatron find Allegra and, um, you know, convince her to join their side to take out uh, Basil Profondo, who's the, the lead guy. And uh, she gives them her part of the harmony, which, you know, Soundwave gives us like the closest where everyone gets to. Uh, his orgasmic joy, which I just find delightful. I really do. Despite everything else in this episode, I just, I really love how the, uh, you know, the uh, boombox uh, transformers are just so into this planet. Soundwave, are you getting this? But, uh, yeah, she says, I only have a third of it. You know, uh, Beso has the other one, and the uh, little elf-looking dude uh, has the other part. So Galvatron and Soundwave have to go uh, fetch it from them, and, you know, the Autobots are on their way to uh, stop this entire madness. So the Autobots show up. Uh, we see uh, Soundwave used the, the, his third of the Harmony to destroy a Fjord, and uh, they're watching, and uh, we get the name of the elf-looking dude. It's Seabop, and, you know, he, he's the worst, uh, you know, <laughs> subtle subterfuge guy of all time. He just starts yelling at Allegra, like, hey, don't do that. I'm, I'm not going to. I won't do that. It's it's annoying enough for them, for them to do it and having to hear me do it. But, uh yeah, it's, uh, you know, Galvatron recognizes that, you know, here's another guy with a part of the harmony and he's going to attempt to get it from him. So Soundwave uses the harmony against the uh, Autobots and Seabop uh, uh, and uh, Broadside is, for whatever reason, been swapped out with Hotspot. And, uh, you know, while he, he fires back with his own part of the harmony, Soundwave, of course, records it. And now he has two thirds of the sound and they blast the Autobots away. And as the Galvatron and Soundwave uh, celebrate their victory with two-thirds of the harmony, uh, Galvatron laughs and gives like one of the most uh, weird, uh, weirdly animated like head thrusts. Is like ha 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 ha, but it's like it's almost like he's head banging. Like you know, the the tune must be a uh, to them a uh, rock and metal bit. Which, of course, I enjoy. So the Autobots uh, end up in a fight with uh, Galvatron and Soundwave. Uh, <laughs> and uh, basically, Zebop falls down. And while uh, Blaster and Soundwave are uh, duking it out, Soundwave ends up falling on uh, Zebop, which, I mean, honestly, it should, it, he's like a 
four and five ton robot just he should be dead uh, you know and the Decepticons continue fighting back and uh, then they're going to go off look for uh, Basil Profundo to get the third part of the Harmony and of course Allegra uses her Harmony powers to heal the very much dead uh, Z-Bop and uh, you know it's described like how it's happening uh, through Ultra Magnus's mouth, uh, even though it's obviously Blaster's voice. So the battle retreats back to the city where Basil Fundo is, and he's uh, using a uh, amplifier to use his harmonic powers against the Decepticons. Uh, and yeah, th- this is probably one of the bigger issues I have with the episode is like these guys, the, their harmonics are supposed to be glorious and beautiful and they just, the, it's just atonal annoyance. And uh, then we cut to uh, suddenly, uh, we've only seen Hotspot so far, but now we have Defensor. And then in another scene, we have Defensor standing next to Hotspot, another infamous, uh, you know, error of animation this episode's full of. And it's just it's just kind of funny. It's just like the whole thing, just like, what are we doing here, guys? You know, there's parts of this plot I'm really enjoying, and parts of this plot I'm just like, no. So as Beso is uh, fighting back with his part of the harmony, of course, uh, Soundwave records it. And now he has the entire harmonic uh, three-piece section, uh, and they leave for, from, uh, from the planet to uh, go to Earth and destroy Metroplex and then on to Cybertron. So the Decepticons go to Earth and they attack Metroplex with the Harmonies. Uh, we see Metroplex, uh, whose size is uh, obviously off in various scenes. And uh, the Autobots show up with all three of the original uh, people of the, Har- of the Harmony and uh, fight back against Soundwave using uh, white noise. How can they defeat our perfect sound? With anti-sound, white noise. And uh, defeat Soundwave and Blaster grapples with him and uh, hits his erase button and erases his tapes. Yes, tapes. Uh, Soundwave says it specifically. Uh, Soundwave is still analog for whatever reason. My tapes. You've erased my tapes. And we end the episode, the Autobots are victorious, and uh, they send back uh, the uh, the Harmony people to their planet with a warning of, hey, you need to get your crap together, otherwise, you know, this stuff's going to happen again. Uh, anyway, yeah, this episode is, uh, as I said, it's famous or infamous, however you want to place it. The infamous El Guapo. What does that mean, infamous? Oh. <laughs> infamous is is when you're more than famous. This man El Guapo is not just famous; he's infamous. Uh, just for the animation is just it's really really bad. Uh, is it as worse as any other episode? Mm, you know, if you want to count animation errors altogether, it, it kind of evens out. But just the er- the errors are so egregious in this one; it's why it kind of stands out along with. Just how atonal annoying the uh, the whole harmony thing is, but you know there, there there's some fun bits to get in here as a fan, you know Soundwave and Blaster enjoying the music, uh, a little bit of personality for uh, Broadside, you know it's not a terrible episode, but it's not really good either, but it, it's definitely fun to watch and uh, you know after the fact 
you know, I said even as a kid, I like recognize this episode was, you know, has some bad animation in it. You know, and normally I didn't even care about that stuff back then. But overall, kind of fun. I, d- I definitely enjoyed rewatching it, even just finding all the stupid little mistakes in it. And, uh, you know, whatever I didn't cover here, I'm sure Ant will cover in, uh, you know, his follow up. And uh, yeah, that's all the Salty Seaman has for now. Check me out on my page, uh, Gabe138, the Salty Seaman. On YouTube, you want to watch anything about military movies, uh, lifestyle, all that fun stuff. I occasionally do Transformers, wrestling, MMA, tabletop, tabletop RPGs, you know, lots of different stuff. Mostly military, though. Anyways, that's all I got for you guys today. Back to you, Ant. And, of course, you can catch Gabe on his YouTube channel, youtube.com slash recharge138, or just search The Salty Sea Man. A couple of things worth noting in this episode. Uh, it's it's kind of neat. I you know this episode watching it in recently as opposed to remembering it in retrospect as just one of the worst episodes. There's a lot of animation errors. There's a lot of animation errors. Uh, some of them are hysterical, like broadside falling on Devastator in aircraft carrier mode. That's how he defeats Devastator at the beginning of the episode. Um, but the story itself isn't terrible uh the concept isn't really terribly different than some of the season two stuff uh we've come across now speaking of sounds and this episode one thing worth noting is that the music for the score of season three uh shifts from the the standard soundtrack to the vince DiCola score from transformers the movie now it's not the entire episode but you'll hear bits of the score within the episodes now uh which is is kind of jarring to the ear uh, because it doesn't sound uh, like the the synths and trumpets of the main score. Uh, it fits. It doesn't not fit, but it, it's just it's just something. You, if you know the movie very well, you'll pick up on it right away. Now, another soundbite we've talked about uh, Blaster and Soundwave having soundgasms, but we did miss one, and here is one of the early ones from the episode. Here's Blaster and hearing the sounds from Eurythmia. Weapon? That was no weapon. That was harmonic bliss, a musical kiss. Now, when Soundwave and Galvatron head down to the planet, uh, they're flying. They're actually holding hands. And I, I never saw that before. And I'm going to have to pull that as a clip and throw that up on the uh, social media uh, because that one is certainly interesting. Now, for those of you who know music, um, it's kind of interesting here is that the harmony referenced from the episode um, is split into three pieces and a minor chord in music is split into three parts, three notes, essentially. Well, most chords are three notes, but uh, a, a minor, let's see if we can explain this without getting too musical. All right. So you have your musical scale, right? You know, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. Those notes on the scale are a distance, a relation away from each other. So the first note is one, the second note is two, the third note is three, and so on up until seven. And then eight is the octave, same as the first note. Uh, In a minor chord, you have the first note, the fifth note, and then a flatted version of the third note. So the third note has a space between the second note and the third note, and the flat lives in that middle space and so 
uh, a minor chord is a first, a flatted third, and a fifth. And so it, it's interesting that the chord, the harmony, is split into uh, three pieces here in a sh episode called Carnage in C Minor. Now, while that's interesting, there's this weird soundbite. I wrote a big WTF on this because uh, damage your infrastructure, it's just such a strange thing. Uh, we also get a, a soundbite from Scamper. Alert! Alert! Decepticon attack! Who said Dan Gilvezan did only Bumblebee? And of course, there's the final lesson from this episode, uh, which is a good lesson overall for Transformers fans and general humanity, really. You've got to learn to live with each other's differences if you're going to live in harmony. <laughs> and that's the name of that too. Now, as I said, this episode, it's not bad as it is remembered badly. Uh, the animation is really the worst animation probably of any single episode. Uh, but the story, the story's there. The story's there. It's just poorly presented. There's some nice world building in here. Uh, I would really like to see this stuff get revisited, and I know it does in some some ways. I've I've read up a little bit on the wiki, and we'll talk about that in a future episode. But you know what led me to wonder what exactly this episode sounded like in other parts of the world, because the titles for this episode were really interesting in other parts of the world. For example, in uh in China, in the Chinese Mandarin title of this episode. The title is The Slaughter in C Minor, uh, whereas in Japan, it's called Challenge of the Music Planet. And uh, I was really hoping for something weird and wacky and wild in terms of the rhythmians and how they sound, but it wasn't terribly different. But presented for your enjoyment, here is a little taste of the Japanese audio of this episode. And a big shout out to TF Raw and a big thank you to them as well for providing that audio for the Japanese dub of Carnage and C Minor Challenge of the Music Planet. And that takes us to Season 3, Episode 18, overall episode number 83, The Quintesson Journal by Richard Merwin. Uh, sometimes he's credited as Rick Merwin. Uh, it's the only Transformers episode he wrote. Uh, he did write a ton in the 80s and 90s. Lots of cartoons, uh, including uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, both the Sunbow and Deke versions of G.I. Joe in Humanoids, and he was the story editor on a cartoon based off the movies of Police Academy. Me. <laughs> 
he forgot to dot the I. I'll fix it. Police Academy, the series. Hooray! He also had a uh, a bit acting role as the cowboy surgeon in a video game. Well, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess you'd call it a video game, a computer game, really, uh, called Terror Tracks, T-R-A-X, all capitals. I guess this is a series of games, and uh, uh, the game that we're talking about here was called Track of the Vampire. He's credited as Cowboy Surgeon. Uh, I could not find, I found the whole thing. You can search this on YouTube. The entire game is up there. Uh, I could not figure out who he was. I found surgeons. I did not find any cowboy surgeons. Uh, it's one of those kind of choose your own adventure games where there's a bunch of different outcomes. Fun thing here is that this game in particular was directed by Flint Dilly, known Transformers writer, story editor on Transformers the movie, and it was written by Dilly and Buzz Dixon. So there's a huge Transformers tie-in here back to Richard Merwin. Now, this episode premiered on November 11th, 1986, and that's going to be important when we talk about an episode later in this batch of episodes. And it starts with an explainer video about the war between the Zetaxis and the Lenarch. There's a peace conference with Rodimus Prime and Spike. Then we find this canister floating through space like this, and it crashes on a planet. Of course, this is the Quintesson Journal. Now, Predaking notices the signal. Signal is a Quintesson frequency and radios Cyclonus, who will join Predaking in the hunt for this. At the same time, Perceptor and Skylinks also notice the signal, and Skylinks follows the signal. Uh, he has Outback, Blaster, Steeljaw, and Ramhorn aboard and drops them off on the planet. Predaking decides he needs to start searching. Must make more speed! And then Predaking put on a black hat and started calling himself Heisenberg. Then the Predacons decombine and the Autobots find the canister first, but the uh, journal becomes activated. The Predacons arrive and attack, and Predaking fights Skylinks. The bots make off with the journal, and Cyclonus and the sweeps arrive and give chase. Just then, Skylinks is pulled into a warp gate, which we have not seen since Five Faces of Darkness Part 3, and he's pulled through by a Quintesson tractor beam. The Quintessons imprison the Autobots and take the journal, but the Autobots escape and retake the journal. Skylinks is attacked by the Decepticons and injured, and the Decepticons get the journal and flee. At the peace conference, the talks fall apart, and we find out that the Quintessons have been delivering weapons to both the Zetaxons and the Lenarkins. The Decepticons, they examine this journal, and we find out exactly what the Quint plans are. Item 457, Planet Tixla. This is it. The secrets of the Quintessons are ours. A large fleet of Quintesson transport vessels were sold to Tixlara. The primitive nuclear fuel requirements drained the planet's mineral resources, bringing the Tixlaran economy under Quintesson control. This is useless! We supplied manufacturing facilities to the planet Alaxau. Said facilities were designed to create atmospheric pollutant imbalance. The resulting isotopic rains destroyed all vegetation, which we replaced with Pantobots at a substantial profit. 
item 793BQ, manipulation of the continuing war between Zetoxis and Lanark. Aren't those not the two planets? Between whom the Galactic Peace Council is attempting to negotiate a ceasefire. A case study has been made of this conflict. I'll bet they'd love to have that journal at the peace conference. Then let's get it alone and bring it on home. All right, on my signal. Escalating sales of armaments to both sides has resulted in continuation. Just then, Outback and Blaster attack, and the Quintessons steal the journal during the battle. The Autobots and Decepticons give chase, and the peace conference begins to fall apart. Skylinks attacks the Quintessons ship and gets the journal. At the peace conference, Rodimus Prime and Spike trying to keep the peace at the conference, and Skylinks arrives with the journal. In the third stage, medium-powered hand weapons were sold to both Zetoxis and Lanark. Higher profit margins were not achieved until the sale of interplanetary weapons. Unbelievable! Profit margins? From blowing up our cities? Fleet sales of warships increased profits by a factor of five. Newer weapons sold to Zetoxis generated equalizing sales to Lanark and vice versa. Quintesson profits from the Lanark-Zetoxis war have increased steadily for centuries. A textbook case. We have endured these horrors so the Quintessons could profit. Congratulations. It's taken you only a few thousand years to comprehend your folly. And we shall reward your perceptiveness by providing you your ultimate weapons as promised. Already armed and set to explode on impact. Are you ready to take delivery? Skylinks, Rodimus Prime, and Ultramagnet go to stop the bombs that the Quintessons have set and shoot the Quintesson ships off the course. Peace is achieved, but at what cost? And that is the entire episode of The Quintesson Journal. And this is a pretty good one. It's kind of your standard Transformers episode. We have a MacGuffin device in the Quintesson Journal being passed around, but we find out the Quintessons are kind of uh, arms dealers slash warmongers, uh, more so than we knew from Five Faces of Darkness. We're kind of building on that. But we're also going to find out later that this plan is rooted in something much uh, deeper. But first, we have one more episode before we can talk about that, and that is Season 3, Episode 19. Overall, Episode number 84, The Ultimate Weapon. And this one actually aired before the previous episode. This one was... uh, first aired on November 10th, 1986, and was written by Arthur Byron Cover. He wrote a handful of cartoons in his career, including Real Ghostbusters, Defenders of the Earth, and Bionic 6, and played Zombie Number 1 in the film The Laughing Dead. And again, that film is on YouTube in its entirety. Uh, I couldn't figure out who Zombie Number 1 is. Uh, I didn't watch the whole thing, but scrubbing through it, it seems really really campy. Now, this one starts with uh, some sort of war on Earth. Um, There's windmills. There's old ladies shooting guns. It's very weird. Uh, I can't really give the scene justice in words. All I recommend is that you go and watch it. Rodimus Prime sends the Protectobots to stop the battle, and Rodimus Prime is also doubting himself as leader. I've got so many responsibilities, I'm not sure I can handle them all. 
But you're doing a wonderful job. Trust yourself more, and in time you'll realize you're every bit as good as Optimus Prime ever was. Optimus Prime. Who could live up to him? Just then, Galvatron, Cyclonus, the Predacons, and Combaticons attack the Autobots. Blades is wounded and rescued by first aid. Rodimus Prime, Ultra Magnus, Steeljaw, and Ramhorn arrive as first aid takes Blades back to Metroplex. The battle continues, but Galvatron wants to foreshadow. And if my current plan fails, there's always my ultimate weapon. Nothing can stand in its wake. Ultimate weapon? What are you talking about? You'll find out soon enough, you and the rest of the world. <laughs> Back at Metroplex, Swindle breaks in and gets caught by first aid. So that's why the Decepticons are attacking this city. It's a diversion. Yes, but now I have what Galvatron wanted, that transforming cog. Put it back. Now. <laughs> what are you trying to do, First Day? Talk me into surrendering? That isn't a bad idea, Swindle. Neither is this. And this is the first time we hear about a transforming cog, uh, what would later be known as the T-Cog. Uh, it's a very important piece of Transformers lore. It goes right there with uh, their brain modules and their sparks as uh, some of the most important pieces of their biology. And we also find out in this scene that First Aid is a pacifist. And he is much like Lifeline uh, in G.I. Joe, uh, in, in many, many ways, he was also a pacifist and a doctor uh, serving uh, in a military unit. Now, Swindle tries to swindle Galvatron uh, in regards to giving him the TCOG and gets shot for it. Trypticon's ready to attack Metroplex, and Metroplex is stuck in city mode because he doesn't have a TCOG. And Trypticon's stomping through the countryside. Back at Metroplex, the Autobots decide to have a chat. Once again, we see Rodimus uh, doubting his ability, but recognizing First Aid's strongly held beliefs. If Metroplex fell because I refused to fight... You're a medic, First Aid. We don't expect you to compromise your beliefs. I don't fit in with the rest of you. I'm, I'm not a fighter. I'm leaving. Now, while stomping around, Trypticon decides to eat a monorail. That's right, monorail! Monorail, monorail, monorail. And the Protectobots uh, merge to try to stop him, and they merge without first aid, so they are one-armed. It is a one-armed defensor uh, jumping into the battle. The Autobots defeat the Decepticons, uh, and the Aerialbots, particularly Silverbolt and Air Raid. <laughs> Take down Trypticon. Now, Rodimus Prime realizes he needs to convince First Aid to return to help fix Metroplex, and Hotspot volunteers to go have that talk with him. Rodimus and Magnus then decide they need to sneak into Decepticon HQ and decide to do so by having Spike and Daniel pose as delivery men. Uh, they also decide to don some new paint schemes. Rodimus is uh, dark blue with teal and white uh, decorations, including his uh, flames, whereas Ultra Magnus is a teal cab with a blue carrier. Uh, these would be great repaint potential for toys. Hint, hint, uh, Hasbro, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> Vortex, who's guarding the base, doesn't believe them and shakes Rodimus Prime until Daniel falls out of the door. 
uh, and he's falling through a, I guess, a pit, you would call it. Rodimus shoots Vortex as Ultra Magnus leaps and catches Daniel before he hits the ground. But they've succeeded in creating a diversion. Rodimus and Ultra Magnus lead the Decepticons away while Spike and Daniel try to find Metroplex's Teacock. Spike and Daniel break into the Decepticon headquarters and they find Trypticon's Teacog instead and steal it. They get caught by Cyclonus, but Spike lies and convinces Cyclonus that they are just repairmen. Apparently the Decepticons have a whole bunch of humans working for them or enslaved by them. It's, it's very, very bizarre. Then we cut to a junkyard where we find uh, where First Aid has been hanging out with a robot named Null A. And he, like me, is a Yankees fan. Uh, he does have this brown baseball cap with an NY on it. And they're chit-chatting before we cut back to the Decepticons who are uh, installing Metroplex's TCOG into Trypticon. And it doesn't really work. Uh, we also find out that the Autobots plan to do the same. Trypticon stomps his way over to Metroplex, and Metroplex transforms with a little bit of comedy. Hey, keep it down! This is a residential area! We also see Metroplex getting stuck in mid-transformation, but he still fights back. Hotspot arrives at the junkyard to tell First Aid uh, that they need him back and that only he can save Metroplex. First Aid returns to help, but needs to reprogram Metroplex's Teacock. He drops into Metroplex and fixes him, and Metroplex then defeats Trypticon. Galvatron arrives and once again threatens with the ultimate weapon. I still have my ultimate weapon, Rodimus. Surrender now, or I'll unleash its force upon you all. Rodimus and Ultra Magnus realize that this is all a bluff, and the Decepticons flee, and First Aid rejoins the Autobots. And that takes us to the final episode we are going to talk about in today's show season three episode 20 the big broadcast of 2006 and this aired on 11 12 of 1986 which is after the quintesson journal but the events in the story uh, i believe really do take place before that episode this one was written by Michael Reeves, uh, best known for writing the film Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. He was also story editor on Batman the Animated Series for 22 episodes. Uh, like me, he is an Emmy Award winner for his work on Batman the Animated Series in 1993. He also wrote three eps of the 2003 uh, Masters of the Universe series, plus two episodes of the original Masters of the Universe series. He wrote 19 episodes of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series and worked on cartoons dating all the way back to 1975. He also wrote a number of Star Wars novels, and he also wrote three episodes later on of Transformers Beast Machines. Sadly, he currently has uh, Parkinson's disease and uh, actually wrote... A uh, blog about his struggles uh, with the disease until 2013. Now, jumping to the far-flung future of 2006, uh, we do need to talk a bit about some of the big broadcasts of that year. So the top-rated shows in 2006, uh, the top two-rated shows in 2006 were both American Idol, and uh, the show's 
three through five were uh, various airings of Dancing with the Stars. Coming at number six was uh, CSI and seven, Grey's Anatomy. The top rated comedy of 2006 all the way down at 14 was Two and a Half Men. Now, actual big broadcasts of 2006, we have uh, in the United States, the Super Bowl, Super Bowl XL, Super Bowl Extra Large, Super Bowl 40 with uh, 90.75 million viewers. Uh, and worldwide, the World Cup had uh, 3 billion, with a B, viewers. The Torino Winter Olympics with 2.1 billion viewers, and the uh, final of the World Cup, Italy versus France, still in the Three Comma Club, with 1 billion viewers. Now, this episode starts with Rekgar and a female junkie on watching TV, and the screen shows the American flag. This concludes our broadcast day. We will return to the air at 6 a.m. Now, for our younger listeners, uh, something you probably don't know is that TV used to stop at a certain time in the middle of the night. Uh, and this is kind of what they're showing here. So before infomercials, really, which was kind of a product of the late 80s, early 90s, before that, TV networks wouldn't run all night. They would run until 1, 2 in the morning and start up again at about 5 or 6. And they would roll the national anthem and then a test pattern of color bars uh, overnight. And that's what TV was. I mean, when you were in an age of where the biggest markets had maybe seven channels uh, and most only had three, that that's how TV worked. So uh, that's what that scene is all about. Now we find out the Quintessons are observing and they're looking to recover their journal, uh, the one we saw <laughs> two episodes ago, um, which is why we, I really think this takes place before that episode. And they believe this journal is on the planet of junk. So they send Sharktacons to Junkion to find the journal. Uh, the Sharktacons get caught and get shot at and uh, get into a pretty brutal fight. Rekkar cuts off one of the Sharktacons' hands and the Sharktacons flee, but the journal remains. We cut to outer space where Skylynx gets attacked by Astrotrain. And they do this over the planet of junk. The battle is stopped because the Junkions decide to fire at both. Skylinks returns to report to Ultra Magnus and Rodimus what happened, and Astrotrain does the same to Galvatron and Cyclonus. We cut to the Quintessons and their secret plan. The Earth programs, reinforced by our subliminals, are teaching the Junkions an intense distrust of all other life forms. Now, the Quintessons decide to head to Junkion disguised as a cloud. The Aerialbots arrive and the Quintessons attack. The Junkions attack too, and the Aerialbots form Superion and attack the Quintesson ship. Superion's damaged, but the Quintessons flee. The Decepticons then arrive and attack, and Cyclonus figures something out. Back on the planet of junk, the Quints send the wrong signal. To care is to share. To share is to care. And the Junkions decide to retweet that signal. Mrs. Peel, we needed 
Our five-year mission to boldly share our signal with all the sloppy life forms who are our enemies. There is nothing wrong with your television set. We are controlling transmission. We control the horizontal. We control the vertical. We've got the touch. And thus, a chain reaction of subliminal messages is spread across the galaxy, including a show that may sound kind of familiar. And now, another exciting adventure of Space Age Jack. Let's get those lousy reptiles once and for all! Yo, Jack! Now, Space Age Jack is definitely a spoof on G.I. Joe, but it won't be the first or last time we talk about G.I. Joe on this podcast. Uh, We've got the first Transformers G.I. Joe comic crossover coming up in just a few episodes. And that is the first of many. Uh, Those two lines, G.I. Joe and Transformers, are... Uh, inextricably tied to one another, even up to today. But back to this story, we find a cat planet attacking a dog planet. Literal fight between cats and dogs. The Quintessons decide to sell arms, but they decide they also need to get that journal back to keep their secret. Cyclonus, what he had realized earlier, is that he needs to convince Galvatron to take advantage of the Junkions, but Galvatron is not interested So Cyclonus takes the sweeps and Scourge out on his own. We then find the Autobots flying to the planet of junk inside of Omega Supreme. Yes, Omega Supreme survived after Transformers the movie. Uh, I think this might be the only time we see him after Transformers the movie. Uh, He is certainly someone that we never really run into post-season two, but we're running into him right here, and so do the Decepticons. They attack an Omega crashes there's a fight ultra magnus repairs omega and that turns the tide the decepticons flee they run into galvatron who is uh clearly brainwashed by some of the subliminal messages on the tv and everyone heads to junkion the junkions notice their skies are filling up laser wars nothing but laser wars And if you don't get that reference, that's from a classic Saturday Night Live sketch with Bill Murray. Ah, Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, give me the Star Wars, don't let them end. Now, the Quintessons are still looking for their journal, and the Autobots and Decepticons land on Junkion to fight it out. Quintessons find the journal and pull it towards their shuttlecraft. Galvatron shoots at Rodimus Prime, and Rodimus Prime deflects the beam, and it hits the shuttlecraft, dropping the journal into space. Blaster reveals the subliminal messages in the TV programs that the Quintessons have been broadcasting, and the Junkions and Autobots fight off the Decepticons. The episode ends with the journal flying through space, and that's the big broadcast of 2006 and with that journal flying through space it pretty much sets up the quintesson journal episode now i haven't tried watching these in proper order like one with with the big broadcast before the quintesson journal but i imagine it'll make much much more sense and that will do it for this episode of transformers university i am your host anthony brucali owner operator madman 
behindtfu.info. Now, if you want to help out the show, as I mentioned before, the best way to do it is Patreon. Patreon.com slash tfuinfo. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get this episode at least one day in advance of everyone else. Plus, you'll get some inside track on all sorts of other things related to this show and TFU News and Views, uh, bonus episodes, exclusive content. It's all there at the higher levels. For example, uh, just recently, since there was such a lag between episodes, uh, I did get to give everyone an, uh, an advanced preview of this episode and uh, the Carnage and C minor section uh, from my buddy Gabriel Owens, the Salty Sea Man. Now, you can find him over at YouTube. You can also find me over at YouTube, youtube.com slash tfuinfo. Uh, swing on by. All of my Toy Fair coverage is there, including videos from all of the Hasbro events. Uh, I haven't posted any of the unboxing videos yet. I, I should and will. But uh, the stuff from the Hasbro afternoon event of Earthrise and the preview of that toy line is all there. And of course, if you're following us on Twitter at TFU underscore info, you can catch all of our coverage, our daily desk bots, uh, our images of Siege Wave 5 toys that are just starting to show up but weren't out when we posted them. Lots of cool stuff going on over on the Twitter. And finally, if you like Facebook or Instagram, swing on by to facebook.com slash TFU info and instagram.com slash TFU info for all of our fun over there. Now, next time on Transformers University, we are going to talk about the stars and do a little bit of conversation regarding 1986 mail-away figures. Something you won't want to miss, especially if you picked up this year's Hasbro San Diego Comic-Con release of Reflector. But until next time, I am your host, Anthony Bricali, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info. See ya.